From Kindred Church, your inclusive church family. This podcast is a collection of sermons from our weekly worship services in Durham, North Carolina. Whatever your background is, wherever you are on your faith journey, we hope this message helps you take your next steps in response to God's unconditional love. Well, hello and welcome to Kindred Church. It's so good to be with you. If we've not met before, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. And if this is your first time to tune in with us, we're so glad that you have. Um, Our scripture reading for today comes from Matthew chapter 15, and we're looking at verses 21 through 28. And it says this. From there, Jesus went to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from those territories came out and shouted, Show me mercy, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. But Jesus didn't respond to her at all. His disciples came and urged him, send her away. She keeps shouting after us. Jesus replied, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and she said, Lord, help me. He replied, it's not good to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. She said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish. And right then, her daughter was healed. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we have a special treat today. Um, Justin Coleman is here to preach for us. Pastor Justin, as as some of you know, is the senior pastor at University United Methodist Church, our mother church uh, at at Kindred. And Justin is the senior pastor over the entire university family of churches, of which Kindred is a part, along with Amity United Methodist in in Chapel Hill. Uh, So it is really a a joy and a privilege to have Pastor Justin with us this morning. I'm going to turn it over to him now as he helps us to conclude our sermon series, Inclusive Like Jesus. Good morning, Kindred family. It is so good to be with you again. This Sunday, we conclude our Inclusive Like Jesus sermon series. We believe in inclusivity, but what does it mean to be inclusive like Jesus modeled in the Gospels? This Sunday, we'll be talking about how Jesus included those who were on the margins. And as we prepare to do so, Please go with me to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and perhaps even in spite of me. And so let the humble words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The marginalized. It is so easy to create margins. We do it all the time in our society. And I think we actually learn to create marginalization at a very young age. I remember being in elementary school and and playing out on the playground. Now, I was a pretty good kickball player. And if we were out playing dodgeball, I was always one of the last standing. Pretty decent at football, pretty decent at baseball. But I remember the feeling I got when we were choosing who was going to be on the basketball team. And and I should say that the elementary school I went to, I was one of just a handful of African-Americans in my class. And you can't know, or, or maybe you do know, 
the feeling of what it's like to be one of the only African Americans in the class and one of the last people selected for the basketball team. It, it, it defied all kinds of stereotypes and not in ways that I wanted to defy stereotypes. It was so bad, I remember somebody coming up to me once noting that I was feeling a little bit badly about all this and they put their hand on my shoulder and said, it's okay, maybe you've got like more of a, a baseball build, more of a baseball build. And I thought, you son of heaven, you son of heaven. Look, it's a Sunday. You, you know, I wasn't going to say the other thing. You son of heaven. That is not what I wanted to hear. I felt badly about it. I, I felt moved to a margin. But we do it in, in other ways. I, I mentioned that I was one of the few African-American students in the class. And, and there were times when I felt on the margins, um, cast aside by my peers. It happens in so many ways because of our gender, because of our sexuality, because we are tall, because we are short, because we are thin, because we are wide, all kinds of ways. We begin to feel, sometimes at very early ages, moved to margins. And then as we walk through life, it continues because of class and socioeconomics, uh, where you went to school, where you didn't go uh, to school. So many ways that we begin to feel marginal in society. And as we look across our own experiences, as we read the news, it's like we find more and more creative ways to say, you're in and you're out. It's like, again, playing on that playground. You're in and you're out. You can be a part of my winning team. I've selected you because I feel like you stand the best chance to help me get what I want. Or you are like me. And so I'm narrowly defining kinship. We try to broadly define kinship in our kindred church and the university family of churches that we have together. We try to broadly define kinship in the kingdom of God. But there are certain places and in certain instances that people want to narrowly define. Who are my kin? Uh, who's like me? My team is the team that's right. My team is the winning team. And that team, they are wrong. They're wrongheaded or they're the losing team. And it's us and them. But we seek to create a situation. We seek to create a culture where it's just us. One of the folks who inspires our thinking around kinship is Father Gregory Boyle. You've heard Pastor Daniel talk about it. You've perhaps heard me talk about uh, Father Boyle. In his book, Tattoos on the Heart, on the Heart, he has a, a great quote that I want to read to you. He says, 
No daylight to separate us. Only kinship. Inching ourselves closer to creating a community of kinship such that God might recognize it. Soon we imagine with God this circle of compassion. Then we imagine no one standing outside that circle, moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. We stand with those whose dignity has been denied. We locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. At the edges, we join the easily despised and the readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that demonizing will stop. We situate ourselves right next to the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. That's kinship. That's kinship in the kingdom of God. This is what we believe it means to follow Jesus in the way that Jesus erased the margins around him. So let's take a closer look at our passage from Matthew 15 and how Jesus erased margins in that gospel text. In our gospel passage, we find a Canaanite woman coming to seek Jesus's help because her daughter has been afflicted by some kind of demonic possession. Now there's a lot of bad blood between the Canaanites and the Israelites. Just read the book of Joshua. It's like Braveheart or one of the 300 movies or a battle at the end of the Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of really bad blood between Israel and Canaan. The Canaanites are people who uh, we find in the book of Joshua were concerned that they have these religious practices that could corrupt the religious practices of Israel. And so responding to this Canaanite woman and her plea, Jesus' disciples say, God, send this lady away. She's been yelling at us all day. Just send her away. Now, what do we expect to happen here? We expect for Jesus to say, no way. I'm not going to send her away. I'm going to heal her daughter. We're going to bless this family. That's what we know of the character of Jesus, right? Well, Jesus replies in this way. I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. I am focused on Israel, nobody else. Now, we who are reading and know something about Jesus, we're stunned. Uh, the disciples are probably saying, yeah, that's right. That's what we want to hear. Send her away. Focus on our people. Now, I think that Jesus's response doesn't reflect Jesus's heart here in the moment. I think that Jesus is trying to be dramatic, trying to make a dramatic point here. And he's saying something that plenty of people in the crowd would agree with. But I think he's saying it just to raise the level of drama here for the moment. This woman kneels down before Jesus and says, Lord, help me. And then he replies, it's not good to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. I mean, wow. 
the children of Israel's bread and toss it to the dogs of Canaan or these this Canaanite woman and her daughter called them dogs. Never in the history of all civilization has it been okay to imply that a woman was anything like a dog. This has never been okay. And so this, again, is meant to ratchet up the tension for uh, the moment. And we're horrified at this point uh, as readers by what's going on here. And then she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. She's persistent. She knows that Jesus can heal her daughter, so she's persistent. And Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish. And right then her daughter was healed. And we're saying, wait, wait, what? Jesus was really pressing in on this exclusive posture. And then just like that, uh, a difference. This is why I believe that Jesus was trying to raise the drama of the moment and get kind of a cheering crowd behind him of, of disciples and onlookers like, yeah, Jesus, stick it to her. Tell her where to go. I mean, this is this is their mindset. But just at the, the peak of that dramatic moment, as she makes her reply, Jesus softens and heals. It's kind of like that moment at the end of the Gene Wilder version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where um, uh, the Miss um, Willy Wonka is is really uh, fussing at at Charlie, talking to Charlie about all the things that Charlie has done wrong and why he's just got to get out. And then he relents and says, "No, no, no, Charlie, you've actually won this whole thing." I know that was a spoiler. If you've never seen it, I'm sorry. I'd still go home and watch it. I love that version of the movie. But it's a it's a moment like that. Willy Wonka was raising this, this moment of drama uh, really to better con then convey his true intent. And that's exactly what I think Jesus is doing here. Women, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish and heals this daughter. It's a wonderful moment um, of inclusion. And Jesus is interpreting the history between the Canaanites and the Israelites. Um, he's interpreting their history. He's interpreting um, the social norms in between those groups. And he's breaking boundaries um, related to the history and the social norms. And we see Jesus doing this over and over again in Scripture. And I believe that we're called to do this over and over again in Scripture. This is interpreting scripture through the lens of what we know of the gospel. This is critically important. Why? Because when we look across the corpus of scripture, across the body of scripture, there are multiple voices that pour into our scriptural tradition. And if you read enough scripture, if you're enough of a student of scripture, you'll realize that not all of these Voices agree. One of my favorite final examinations in one of my biblical studies courses, uh, the end of my New Testament course, we had to write an essay. And one of the essay questions was, imagine you're at a dinner party and you've got these various prophets 
were all gathered around uh, uh, sharing cocktails together. And then uh, the professor said, imagine they're going to talk about this particular subject. And then we had to write out of our knowledge of these prophets based on their perspective, what would they say from their different voices and different perspectives about this central topic? It was just meant to underscore this idea that not all of the voices agree all the time. The Bible doesn't speak in one voice about many matters. And so when we think about our interpretive lens, we as Christians seek to interpret the entire Bible through the lens of Christ and what we understand of the core of the Christian gospel. And so, for instance, if we're interpreting passages about LGBTQ community, uh, sexual minorities, people who are sometimes marginalized in the midst of society and marginalized in certain church contexts. You can say, well, there's some scriptures that people speak from very loudly. Uh, and because people speak loudly, and because people speak clearly, you think, well, this is compelling. It must be right. Well, again, you've got to look at all of scripture and interpret here. Uh, some people, as uh, they've uh, talked about these nuances, have said, well, it's like looking at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 21, verses verse 1, which talks about essentially someone who is a, a sexual minority not being able to enter into the worshiping assembly. But then Isaiah 56 flips that and with this very same group of people says, no, absolutely the Lord wants these folks to be included in the covenant community. These folks who keep Sabbath practices should be included in God's house. Um, the scripture says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters for these folks. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So wonderful reminder uh, that scripture doesn't speak with one voice. And so as we're interpreting, we say, well, what voice or what voices are most consonant with what we know about following Jesus, following the way of Christ, following the way of the gospel? This is what helps us to interpret scripture today. This is what helps us as we think about including people today in the life of the church. We want to avoid a, a, a dangerous kind of biblicism that takes uh, a passage here or a passage there and uses those passages to marginalize a group of people. No, we want to take into account the whole corpus of scripture seeks to understand the character of God across the corpus of Scripture, seeks to understand that there are certain times and certain places, historical contexts that affect the way people 
convey the truth in certain parts of the Bible. We've got to take all that together, funnel it through the lens of the gospel, and then say, this is the gospel truth. This is following Jesus as it relates to this subject matter or this group of people. It absolutely affects your interpretive trajectory. Because what we understand from the gospel, what we understand from this way of Jesus is that Jesus is constantly pressing uh, um, boundaries, crossing boundaries in order to reach people. We see this in the life of the gospels. We see it dramatically in the book of Acts. Um, when Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. And what you're going to do is you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then to Judea and then to Samaria, this place that, you know, we've really been telling y'all, don't go, don't interact with these people. And guess what? You're even going to go to the ends of the earth. All the boundaries that were there between a Jew and Gentile, between slave and free, between men and women, just as many barriers as you can imagine, we're going to cross those barriers. We're going to embrace those people. And then it becomes this, this vision, like the vision that I read from at the beginning of this message. And Father Greg Boyle, who's, who's a friend of mine, a friend uh, to, uh, to our church, what he talks about when he talks about kinship is so deeply resonant with the heart of the gospel. I want to read that passage again. He says, no daylight to separate us, only kinship, inching ourselves closer to creating a community of kinship such that God might recognize it. And soon we imagine with God, again, this is, this is Holy Spirit driven imagination uh, that follows the heart of the gospel. Uh, from my perspective. Soon we imagine with God this circle of compassion, and we imagine no one standing outside that circle, moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. We stand with those whose dignity has been denied. We locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. At the edges, we join the easily despised and the readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that demonizing will stop. We situate ourselves right next to the disposable so the day will come when we stop throwing people away. You know, in last week's uh, message, uh, what I said at the university campus, and I think uh, Pastor Daniel said something uh, very similar here, is that, you know, the church became known in its early centuries as being a, a church for women and a church for uh, children, a church for slaves. These folks who were at the margins, um, the church began to bring to the center of community. And people who were onlookers said, gosh, they are so welcoming and embracing. It's like all they do is focus on, on women and, and children and slaves. I think that's what being church is about. So whoever we might name as being on the margins in our society, it's people that the church reaches out to. We want to reach out in such a way that people will want 
to come and join us uh, and, and to, to stand with us. But we don't wait for people to come and stand with us. We look around society and we say, how can I situate myself as, a, as an individual Christian? How can I situate, how can we situate our church to come alongside those who are on the very margins of society, who are feeling fragile, who are feeling alone, who are feeling left out, who are struggling and, and perhaps even desperate. I like this Canaanite woman who is desperate uh, for her child to be healed. Let's, let's move ourselves to the margins and stand next to and put our arms around and embrace, stand in solidarity with. So here's my challenge uh, to you. Now, I, I've spoken in some broad and some sweeping ways, but the challenge can be really easy. Each and every one of you can do this uh, each and every day as you move in the world and as you engage people uh, that you're around. Find somebody who is at the margins. They can be um, a classmate of yours who's kind of in the margins of the class. People don't seem to hang out with people don't include. They're not adding them to their dodgeball team uh, or their basketball uh, team. And, and stand beside them. Try to befriend them. Try to include them in, in, in activity. You can do this at work. You know, there's often somebody or someones that are, are, are like that. How can I... Uh, stand alongside and help them know that they, uh, I do value them and, and care about them as a person, care about them as uh, a colleague. Uh, and then what ways can we imagine as a, as a kindred church community uh, to situate ourselves collectively with people who are on the margins? And let's go there in dramatic ways so that other people, Maybe even other churches who are like the disciples say, gosh, why are you standing with them? They're just shouting all the time. They're really kind of getting on my nerves. I don't know what to think about them. I don't know what to think about the way they engage, the way they live. Well, whoever that might be. As a community, how can we discern a way to say, I'm going to include uh, them in my circle, in our circle of compassion, our circle of kinship. Uh, let's expand these borders of our community and our community's embrace until no one is left out. And we do it in the name of God, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit. We do this in the name of Jesus, who we follow, who we seek to emulate. Because we believe that this way of Jesus is not only for us, but it adds life to the world. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much, Pastor Justin, for that wonderful message today. Uh, friends, just a few things here quickly for us before we go. Uh, the first is that if you're new to Kindred, I would love to connect with you. Uh, the best way that we can do that is if you'll click the connect link that you see in the description here and uh, fill out the brief form and, and that will allow me to reach out and, and uh, connect with you later in the, the week. I look forward to that. Uh, also, if you're local, we would love to see you in in-person worship. I know online worship is awesome and it's convenient and it's great in so many ways, uh, but there's really no substitute for getting 
getting in the same room and, and worshiping together with other people uh, in our, our Kindred community. Uh, and finally, be sure to check out the announcements link here. We've got a lot going on in the life of our community right now. Uh, lots of different ways for you to get involved if and when you're ready to, to do that and to stay engaged and, and keep on growing in your faith. Uh, so with that, friends, remember that we love you and we hope you have a great week and may the peace of Christ be with you. Thanks for tuning in. If this message was meaningful to you, consider sharing it with a friend who might also find it meaningful. To support this ministry, to get involved with Kindred Church, or to learn more about us, check out our website, kindrednc.church. We hope you have a great week.